Good morning. So good to see you. It feels like it's been since last year that I've seen. Come on, those New Year's Eve, those New Year's jokes never get old. But you're, you're lucky I'm preaching today because now I know that if Mark was up here, he would say, okay, get up. We're all tired. Get up and do some calisthenics or something. But I'm going to tell you, sit back, relax. If you brought your my pillow that you got for Christmas, bring it. I'll try to use my, 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 my low radio voice to put you to sleep. and Just take it easy and take a nap. I'm just kidding. Turn to your Bibles, if you have it, uh, to John chapter 17. We're not going to have any slides. Uh, I gave the slide person, my lovely wife, the day off. Uh, so if you've got a phone or a scripture, you can turn to that. We're going to spend our time there. You know, when you pray either out loud or if you're in a, a group setting like Sunday school or small group or somewhere else that you pray and you bring up prayer requests and then somebody prays out loud, normally when you're in the same group of people, you start to recognize some trends or some, some things that certain people have a heart for, right? And what we pray, when we pray out loud, you can usually tell what's really on uh, the person's heart that's praying. Uh, you, know, you know, a lot of us pray for our families, for, for our, our children um, as they grow up. Uh, a lot of us, I know, one Sunday school uh, con continually brings up uh, his hearts for those that are persecuted in, in, the, in the Mideast. Uh, and we continue to pray for them every week. We pray for the orphans, um, whether it be here or in Africa or, or South America. We pray for the missions teams that we've been in contact with and you can tell just over over the course of uh, of time what really gets to people what's on their heart well a lot of you are probably familiar with the lord's prayer right our father in heaven hallowed be your name kingdom come your will be done right we, we've all heard that probably said it or quoted it several times and we often call that the lord's prayer but today i, I want to propose to you that i think there's a better lord's prayer because it shows his heart. It shows what Jesus really cares about. And so, John chapter 17. Now, some of you are probably familiar with, uh, have you heard the uh, little template for prayer, joy? You know, you normally pray joy, Jesus first, others second, and then yourself last. Well, in this prayer, Jesus actually breaks that. He, he breaks the rule and prays for himself first. So, if you have your Bibles, turn with me to John chapter 17. Start at verse 1. After Jesus said this, he looked up toward heaven and prayed, Father, the time has come. Glorify your Son that your Son may glorify you. For you granted him authority over all people that he might give eternal life to all those you have given him. Now this is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. I have brought you glory on earth by completing the work you gave me to do. And now, Father, glorify me in your presence with the glory I had with you before the world began. Now this, to put it into context, this, Jesus is praying right after he gets done talking to the disciples, uh, what we call the Last Supper, or Passover. Jesus instituted the Lord's Supper. He washed their feet. He talked about uh, the betrayal of Judas and also the... Uh, Peter denying him, and I always get the picture in my mind, I try to visualize a lot of stuff that happens in the Bible, I always picture him going out into a, like a campfire setting, and, and from John chapter 13 to 18, 
Jesus kind of lays out a plan for his disciples. He gives them these instructions. He gives them some comfort. He says, I'm not going to be with you much longer. But I'm going to give, send you the Holy Spirit. And he's trying to comfort them. He's trying to teach them. He's trying to give them the final instructions. So you can just imagine what's on Jesus' heart as he's sharing that. How painful it must be after spending you know, the last three years of his life with these men. Um, that he's seen grow into who they were at that point. And this is, so this is that night, right before Jesus gets arrested. And we see him teaching those things to his disciples, and then we see this prayer. Now, we're not sure exactly where it fits within the, the prayer you're probably familiar with, uh, the Garden of Gethsemane prayer, where Jesus prays, uh, if there's any way to take this cup, please do, but not my will, but yours. And we talk about the, the sweats of uh, of blood that he has with the uh, excruciating torment that he was going through. Don't, not really sure where this fits in that night, but John gives us a, a detailed picture of his prayer. And he starts with himself. Now, technically, it's a technicality because he does pray for Jesus because he or is Jesus. So anyway, it's a technicality. He prays for himself first. He says, God, you have sent me here to do this job. It's about finished. Help me finish it. And glorify me like I was before. Through this mission, glorify me. And so he prays for himself first. And sometimes I'll have to say that the joy template is great, but sometimes we do need to pray for ourselves first so that we can be effective in our ministry, so that we can understand who we are as we fit into the body of Christ. And sometimes, let's face it, we're going through pretty rough times, and, and we need prayer. There's nothing wrong with praying for yourself first occasionally. Right? So make a habit of it. Then, so Jesus prays for himself first. Then he prays for his disciples, the 11 or 12 that he had with him. So starting with verse 6 of John chapter 17. I've revealed to you those whom you gave me out of the world. They were yours. You gave them to me, and they have obeyed your word. Now they know that everything you have given me, given me comes from you. For I gave them the words you gave me, and they accepted them. They knew with certainty that I came from you, and they believed that you sent me. I pray for them. I am not praying for the world, but for those you have given me, for they are yours. All I have is yours, and all, and all, and all you have is mine. And glory has come to me through them. I will remain in the world no longer, but they are still in the world. And I am coming to you. Holy Father, protect them by the power of your name, the name you gave me, so that they may be one as we are one. While I was with them, I protected them and kept them safe by the name you gave me. None of us has been lost except the one doomed to destruction so that the scripture would be fulfilled. I'm coming to you now, but I say these things while I'm still in the world so that they may have the full measure of my joy within them. I've given them your word and the world has hated them for they're not of the world any more than I am of the world. My prayer is not that you take them out of the world, but you protect them from the evil one. They are not of the world, even as I am not of it. Sanctify them by the truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, I have sent them into the world. For them I sanctify myself, that they may truly also be sanctified. You see his heart for his disciples. But I, want to, I don't want to spend a lot of time on it, but I want, I want you to notice two specific things. First off, Jesus specifically says, I'm not praying for the world in this prayer. And you're like, Jesus... You came to save the world. You're not praying for the world. But why? He's praying for his 11 men. 
the disciples that he has groomed and taught for three years. He knows that this mission that he is about to leave with them is a heavy burden. And he prays for them that they may continue the mission because the world is going to change through them, through the Holy Spirit. Jesus promised them the gift of the Holy Spirit just a few pages earlier. And that's going to help them continue the mission. But he knows it's going to be tough. But he knows the world will benefit from these men. And if you look through the book of Acts, how the church spread, it's just amazing that God used these tax collectors, fishermen, low lives. Let's face it, they were on the societal ladder, they were very low. And God used them to spread the good news. And notice, also, one thing that I think sometimes we tend to, to fall into the trap of, I like to call it the escapist mentality. It's like we're waiting at the bus stop for heaven. The bus rolls up, we're like, woohoo, it's here, I'm going to heaven. But do you notice what Jesus says? Do you notice that about his disciples? He said, I'm not praying that you take them from the world. I'm praying that you protect them. There, I'm going to have to say a, a, a pet peeve of mine. There was a song that came out a few years ago. Uh, I don't know the exact word. I think it's by Building 429. They play it on Christian radio all the time, st even still. And you, you're probably familiar with the song if you listen to it, but I forgot the melody, so I'm not even going to try. But basically it says, this world is not my home. Take, take me and give me Jesus, right? Everybody familiar with that song or some of you familiar with that song? Take this world and give me Jesus. I look at John 17 and I'm saying, no, that's the exact opposite of what Jesus is praying for. He's like, I put you here to share the good news. Matthew chapter 28, right before Jesus goes into heaven, did he say, now stay right here, I'll be back. That's a no, he didn't. He said, go to the ends of the earth. Make disciples of all nations. Don't wait here for me to come back. I'm coming back, yes. Heaven's going to be great. But I want as many people possible to know. And you can't do that by sitting here at the bus stop waiting. So I just wanted to bring that. And then finally, Jesus prays for himself. He prays for his disciples. Good news. He prays for us. Start with verse 20. My prayer is not for them alone. I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message, that all of them may be one, Father, just as you are in me and I am in you. May they also be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. I have given them the glory that you gave me, that they may be one as we are one, I in them and you in me. May they be brought to complete unity to let the world know that you sent me and have loved them even as you have loved me. Father, I want those you have given me to be with me where I am and to see my glory, the glory you have given me, because you loved me before the creation of the world. 25. Righteous Father, though the world does not know you, I know you. I know that you have sent me, I have made you known to them, and I will continue to make you known in order that the love you have for me may be in them and that I myself may be in them. Now, if you were to pick one overarching theme in that prayer for us. It's pretty easy, right? Unity. One. May they be one as we are one. So I thought it was pretty clever. I'm preaching on one, one, seventeen, and I'm preaching on being one 
out of John chapter 17. Get it? Hey, may never happen again, the clever, but yeah, don't clap. Okay. <laughs> but notice Jesus' heart. Unity. May we be one as they are one. Now, I don't know about you, just look over this past year. And I often say, if you're in my Sunday school class, I say this over and over again, that I don't know if right now, in our society, in our culture, in our world, if it's any worse than it was when Jesus walked the earth, or long before that. You're like, sure it is. Well, it's different, and it might feel like it's worse, but you had racism, you had division from the very beginning. You had different people groups hating each other. You had Cain killing Abel out of jealousy because they were different. We've had divisions throughout history. Just think about Jesus' time. You had the Pharisees, and you had conservative Jews, you had liberal Jews. Sound familiar? You had Samaritans that the Jews hated. If you remember, Nathaniel, uh, one of the disciples, when he was called, somebody said, hey, Jesus, the Messiah, he, he's calling us, come follow. And Nathaniel's like, could anything good come from Nazareth? They had those stigmas. They had that racism. They had those divisions, those labels that we use. They had them back then. Now we have social media and we have the media and we have all that stuff that may, maybe amplifies it a tad, but I don't know if it's any worse. Remember, God destroyed the world in a flood because it was so bad. But this past year, I mean, a lot of things have been brought to the forefront, right? Especially as it relates to um, the country. I, I don't talk about politics very often, so this is going to be the very small inkling of it, right? Because it's actually not about politics. This world, this nation, this country that we live in is divided, right? Duh. And it has been for a long time. It's not the president, it's not the next president that's going to fix it or necessarily even make it worse. There's been division in this country for years, whether it be gender, whether it be race, whether it be whatever, social standing, right? Could be anything. We put labels on people. And when we do that, we think that we're inclusive. We're, we're being inclusive. We think that we're including them by labeling them. But in fact, we're creating the division. We're creating it. The reason I bring this whole thing up is I actually brought it this time. I, I didn't read it at first service. But I want to read this social media post that most of you probably have seen. Some of you may have shared it. It's fine. Uh, but I want to read this to you. And at first you think, oh, well, it's kind of nice. This is right after the current president, starting right in two weeks. We know who that is, right? Got elected. And everybody was, you know, both ends. Some were really happy and some were obviously really not. But this post was going around. And I want you to listen to it carefully. My black friends, you matter. You are an important part of this country. I will stand with you. My disabled friends, you matter. You are an important part of this country. I will stand with you. My Latino friends, you matter. You are an important part of this country. I will stand by you. My female friends, you are an important part of this country. I will stand by you. My LGBT friends, you matter. We are an important part of this country. We'll stand by you. My Muslim friends, same thing. My Native American friends, my immigrant friends, my Jewish friends, my single parent friends. Ten different 
types of people that the or labels that this person who originated this post used. And I thought, oh, well, that's not, you know, they're trying to be nice. They're trying to say you're an important part of this country. But whatever happened to Americans? You're an American. You're an important part of this country. You see, by creating those 10 different people groups or labels that this person did originally, you're actually adding to the exclusiveness of it. You're actually excluding more people than you're including. Does that make sense? And we do that. We label people. Sometimes we do it just like that. You look at somebody, you're like, ah, oh, now I know what they are. And that creates division. The reason I bring this up as politics is because it's not about politics. Because if we're going to change the world like we're called to do, it's divided out there. How are we going to fix out there if we're divided in here? How is the church going to be the light in this dark world? To shine hope, love, peace out there if we're just as divided in here as we are out there. It's going to be pretty tough. The good news is, for 2,000 years, the church has continued to grow in spite of our stupidity, our dumbness. <laughs> right? It's continued to grow. But we, as a church, as the body of Christ, can help it grow even more. And that's what God's heart is. Jesus' heart, as he's praying for us, is that, that we can be one. So how do we do that? First off, the best thing is, is that we can change the way we talk. Right? We can start thinking of the church as one body. Remember, Mark talked about the body of Christ a few weeks ago from 1 Corinthians. We talk about that. But also, when we talk about the church, we talk about Mount Pulaski Christian Church, Right? I think it, I'm convinced, I don't know this for sure, but I feel like God is pretty heartbroken over the fact that there are all these denominations. I don't think he intended it that way. You know, I don't think he likes the fact that in Mount Pulaski there is a Methodist church, two Lutheran churches, a Catholic church, a Christian church. And sometimes we get in the mentality that we're the best church. We're the church you should be at. No. We should look at it like we are one church, one body of Christ for one mission. And that is to love God, love people. Other congregations in this town that are part of the body of Christ may not practice the same things. They may not even adhere to the same theology a lot of times. But do they believe Jesus raised from the dead? Do they believe that he was the savior of the world? And do they believe that they should be loving people, loving God, and loving the world? I think the answer is yes. I think so we should start looking as the church as a whole. Not just a church. We're not a church. We are part of the church big C. I think that's one way we can do it. The other, the other thing, it's important to recognize, one, being one with each other does not mean the same. Right? None of us are the same. It makes two things. It makes it really fun and interesting then it makes it really frustrating, right? I know in our marriage, Amy and I are nothing alike. A lot of times that, that, that makes it interesting, and a lot of times I drive her crazy. There are a few times, okay, that she drives me crazy too. It's, it's, a, it's a two-way street. But one doesn't mean the same. Again, Mark talked about the body. We all have our own parts that we fit into as the body of Christ, and we are to find those. 
the oneness aspect, the unity aspect, is that body functions for one purpose, right? We all come together as different parts of the body for one ultimate purpose. And I think if we can get that in our mind, I think we can get, start moving in, in the right direction. Another thing I have to talk about, I really, it's a hot, it, it's a bad topic to talk about. I wouldn't recommend it up here. I'm going to do it for Mark. You know, the divorce rate among Americans outside of the church is about 50%, maybe a little higher, 50 to 60%, right? The divorce rate in the church is about the same, maybe a little bit higher. Now, in the, in the past, the church, I'm going to admit, has treated divorce like it's the unforgivable sin. And some of you are going through a divorce, some of you have been divorced, some of you, your parents have been divorced, mine have. We've all been affected by it. I do not believe for one second that it's the unforgivable sin. There's good news. And the Bible is very clear that God hates divorce. But have you ever thought why? Think about the closest relationship that there is to the covenant that we have with God is what? Between a man and a wife. Genesis says, for this reason, a man should leave his father and mother and they shall be one. Two different people functioning for the same way. So again, I'm not condemning anybody that's gone through divorce, but I'm saying we as a church need to try to help as much as we can. As if you, couples, if you're going through struggles, try to find help. Talk to the elders. Talk to somebody. Try to find help. But we as a church need to be there. Those of us some of you have been married for 50, 60 years. Maybe take on a mentoring couple. You know, we've only been married for 20 years, but maybe we can do something for, for some of the younger couples too. Try to be that example for them. And we will continue to pray for you, for those that are going through that right now. But if we're broken, if our families are broken inside the church, we can't expect it to be any better out there. And I think that is why God hates divorce. The last thing is, I, it's kind of a pet peeve of mine, is the way we talk. Okay? Sometimes when you're talking to people, uh, especially people that are married and have a family, you'll be talking to a guy, and they'll be like, yeah, I, yeah, my house, my car, my garage, my checking account. You know, my credit cards, my whatever, my dog, my kids. No, it's ours, right? Everything that we have together is ours. Now, there may be a car that I drive more often, and there may be things that Amy has that sh she uses a lot more than I do, right? But they're ours. And I think we have that same mentality in the church. How do you talk about the church? Well, never believe what that church did. They, they changed the services 15 minutes later. They, did you hear what that church did? They bought a parking lot. They did this, and they did that, and they're going to do this. They said that. Huh? No. We are the church. We are the church. And Jesus prayed for us. Please let them see that. Let them be 
one as we are one. So I challenge you, when you start talking about life, just start looking at how you fit to your family, to your church. And maybe we can start making a difference. When we have community get-togethers, like baccalaureate, Mark has mentioned a few times, there wasn't a very big outcome. Every church should have almost every member there, every congregation in town should have everybody there supporting those seniors that are moved, taking the next step. Because we are one church in Mount Pulaski. Then you move it out. And if we start acting like that, acting like one church, one unified body of Christ, then we can start making a big difference. That's what Jesus prayed for.